Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals, Neurocrine Biosciences, and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today our guest is Dr. Michael Hayden. Dr. Hayden is the Chief Executive Officer for Prolenia Therapeutics and a Killam Professor at the University of British Columbia. Helenia is sponsor for the currently active Proof HD trial, a global study evaluating the efficacy and safety of predopidine and patients with early stage of Huntington's disease. Um, Dr. Hayden is also a Canadian research chair in human genetics and molecular medicine. He was the president of Global R&D and chief scientific officer at Teva from 2012 to 2017. And he led the approval of Osteto for Korea and HD, the second drug ever to be approved for HD in the USA. He's author of approximately 900 peer-reviewed publications and has focused his research primarily on HD, translational medicine, including genetics, lipoprotein disorders, predictive personalized medicine, and drug development. Uh, Dr. Hayden has also, uh, also identified the first mutations underlying lipoprotein lipase deficiency and developed gene therapy approaches, resulting in the first approved gene therapy product in the world. Um, he was named one of Pharma Voice's 100 of the most inspiring people in 2015 and has received many awards over the years. He's committed to empowering others, and in addition to mentoring over 100 graduate students and postdocs, he is also a TED mentor. Dr. Hayden, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Lauren, and what a clever pleasure and privilege it is to talk with you. And I'm just so glad to have you because um, I also was researching um, and actually came across your bio on YouTube that HDO had for their Congress. Um, and I was just very inspired by what, what you revealed in your journey with HD. Um, so I ask professionals that come on to my show this one question. Why HD? What, what drove you to stay with HD? Well, this takes me to my life uh, more than 40 years ago in Cape Town, South Africa, where I was born. And uh, I was always interested in genetics. And at that stage in South Africa, um, Nobody believed that Huntington disease existed in any, in any frequency. And I started seeing families with Huntington disease in the genetics clinic. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, I set about to make uh, uh, and visit families with Huntington disease in 18 institutions and hospitals all around the country. And I ended up seeing and talking to families of all different uh, uh, backgrounds and, and I was moved 
by the families that I saw. Many of them were disenfranchised by virtue of being mixed descent. Uh, so they were very poor in the apartheid system. They were disenfranchised. They were disenfranchised by the color of their skin, but also by having this illness. But what moved me was the way they welcomed me, the, uh, the encouragement, the warmth, the, cur the courage, uh, the resilience, and the humor. Uh, and I ended up really uh, working with these families, uh, ended up uh, recognizing there was a need for an organization that supported them. We ended up uh, creating the first Huntington disease uh, uh, patient organization in South Africa. Uh, and also it was very important for me and for them that this was a, a non-racially uh, organized uh, organization. There were, this was for all uh, ethnicities and all backgrounds. So this was very unusual in South Africa at the time. We set up the first Huntington disease clinic that also had social workers, psychologists, neurologists uh, at Skier Hospital in Cape Town where the first uh, heart transplant was done in the world. That was at that hospital. Uh, and so I ended up working with them and, and really learning to understand the challenges they had. There was no single author monograph ever written on Huntington disease. There was very little. In terms of Africa, at that stage, there were just a few articles from the whole continent. And I ended up uh, seeing these families being moved uh, by so much by what they were doing, uh, wanted to, the stigma was profound. And I ended up being imprinted early in my career that this was something where one could have impact and one could potentially bring hope. And it's that spirit that has uh, stayed with me from those early days. I was invited in the late 70s to go to a, the, an, an international congress for Huntington disease in San Diego. I was a kid. Uh, and uh, at that congress, I met Marjorie Guthrie. And Marjorie uh, became uh, uh, almost like a in loco mother for me. Uh, we chatted, we were, uh, it was very warm, very supportive. And she persuaded me to come to America. She, uh, but I told her at that stage, I needed to have status. I needed, I didn't want to just come on a student visa. Uh, and uh, she got, Senator Kennedy to write a letter to the INS saying that I would bring value to America. But Kennedy had one condition. The condition was that I go to Boston. Uh, and I said, is Boston on the East or West Coast? I had no idea. Uh, uh, and, I, and I understood it was the East Coast. I applied, got into Boston Children's Hospital, uh, met, uh, got married quickly before we left. So my wife, who's still my wife, uh, mm -hmm. could actually work. And um, on the way, we met quite a few Americans because we stopped and traveled a bit through Africa on our way. And uh, they said to me, wow, you're going to Boston Children's? I said, yeah. And then after four people had asked me that, I said to them, why are you saying, wow? I was just so thrilled to get out of South Africa on a green card. They said to me, you're going to Harvard Medical School. I said, really? I had no idea. So um, 
I was able to, uh, and really in the early days, this is the early 80s, go to, go to Boston. And then from there came to Vancouver because there were families here, a huge need. I was given the opportunity to work with the families. So the families have always moved me. And that commitment has stayed with me from over 40 years. Um, I believe that this is tractable. I believe this is a disease for which we can make significant uh, contributions and ease the burden. There are many ways to ease the burden. It's social, it's reducing stigma. It's, it's, uh, uh, and, and so when I finally went to Teva and there was a drug that I believed would help Korea, that was, I was able to bring that into Teva, persuade the environment there, and take Osteta through to approval uh, because it looked safer than tetrabenazine. It had a, a modification chemically that was made it safer for treatment of chorea, but that wasn't enough. While I was there, I also became aware of a drug called predopidine, and this drug uh, had failed in some trials, but I had heard from the families, again, listening to the voice of families, and many told me that their family members had done better on this drug. And so we brought it into Teva. And at that stage, it was thought to be having impact on dopamine modulation that has impact on movement. And that was important, but I didn't believe that uh, that was the only mechanism of action. So we went on to start a trial looking at movement as a primary outcome. But along the way, we recognized that at the doses used in humans, it was probably likely not to be a dopamine modulator, but to have impact on another receptor called the sigma-1 receptor. And that's a receptor that has been shown in the past to provide neuroprotection, decreases inflammation, enhances the clearance of toxic material, decreases stress in the cell. And we knew that if you wanted to see the impact on that, you had to go for a longer period because people with Huntington's progress slowly. And that measure of that progression in function is called the TFC. And so we extended the study to one year and we were able to look, and this was pre-specified, TFC was there, but not a primary endpoint. It was a exploratory endpoint. But we learned from this that this drug may have some impact on maintaining function in Huntington disease. This is what I was looking for. And when I left Teva, Teva was in financial difficulty. Teva had already planned to do a phase three. And there was early discussion, but I was able to take this drug with me. And, and what was quite remarkable, there were people at Teva who'd seen all the data and knew it well, who gave up a permanent job. We had no money. This was in early 18. And they came, went on unemployment insurance, because they believed the drug had some possibilities of maintaining function in HD. And uh, we eventually raised money and were able to set up to do a, a single uh, pivotal trial in HD in phase three, supported by the FDA and the EMA in an effort to see whether this drug can maintain function in HD. What, and this really spoke to a commitment for me to the families. When I left South Africa, uh, I said to them, and I promised Marjorie that I'm going to do everything I can in an effort to try and fulfill the promise that I made. 
And so, uh, you know, the failure, the initial failure of this drug led us to different approaches, different approaches to where we understood the right biology. The biology allowed us to divide, uh, have a, uh, uh, a design that spoke to that biology. Uh, we were open to the new data uh, and, uh, and now we're encouraged. And so are the regulators. You know, you need to have the regulators on side. If we want to get a drug to patients, uh, the regulator has to be on side. So the regulators support us. We just recently were awarded Fast Track, where they were accepting the design, the endpoint. And um, amazingly, this community, you know, it, uh, when I left Teva, I inspired a few people to join me. Now we've got a community. Um, and we've gone from mission impossible to mission possible. It is possible. Uh, now let's do this study in an effort to see whether this study and these results can be replicated in a well-defined uh, cohort. And that's what we're in the middle of. And we're about one year away from it. That's it from the end point. You know, and what's been incredible has been the support of the community. I've, uh, the initial inspiration for me were the families and the people I saw, uh, and this continues. These are people who, despite COVID, we've had almost no dropout from the study, despite COVID. Uh, it's the, every other study that I know has had real difficulty with COVID and recruitment and retention. That's not the case here. So I've always seen myself as inextricably bound to the families with HD. And now we have a chance to do something. It's not a sure thing. That's why you do a clinical trial to prove it. But we are looking in this trial for replication. We're looking to replicate what we've seen before. We're very well powered. And hopefully a year or so from now, uh, we'll be able to have results that give patients and families the opportunity to say there is some way that we can stay working, managing our finances, hugging our children and grandchildren, staying in the community, not being cared for by anybody else, dressing ourselves for a little a longer. And any length that we can still provide would be amazing. And we want to do that. Dr. Hayden, I so appreciate you. And probably the reason that you guys have been able to maintain the amount of people is because of your personal passion for this and in the fact that you can tell that you genuinely care um, about providing something for the HD community. And, um, and I, I just want to thank you for that because um, I think it's, we see a lot of times that researchers say they care or somebody says they care and they can only do so much and you continued to push and you created Perlenia that is now doing this for the HD community and you've continued to just drive forward and be this, this force of nature for the HD community where we may not be able to um, on our side, but you've been able to, to do a lot more for us. And I thank you for that. Um, just listening to your story and listening, you know, how people left their jobs in 2018 to follow you, that really speaks to the type of person that you are. And, um, and so I thank you for that. Um, I love where you are. I think it talks to the type of people they are. 
that there's trust and belief and, uh, and they were the closest to the data. And so, you know, time matters. You know, to be honest, Lauren, uh, I'm hope if this drug works, of course, the real community will be people like you, people destined to be ill, but not yet ill. And if we can treat patients who are already ill, that's where you start. And then we can go a little earlier to people destined to be ill around some time, a period that we can work out when they're destined to be ill within a period and delay that onset is the ultimate goal. So next year, the results will be just the first step, but we're not done then because ideally we wanna give this to people who carry the mutation, have some early biomarkers that are symptomatically fine and we can, if we could delay the onset by whatever period, uh, that's what I, that would be the ultimate goal. I think then uh, we'll have done a lot. And let, let me just also add, you know, I've followed every, I'm not a fundamentalist. I'm open to multiple forms of therapy. These include social environment, environmental enrichment, keeping people uh, doing exercise, all of that. Uh, and there've been other environmental changes that look like they do well for people. But I'm also interested in multiple mechanisms of action, not one mechanism, but just like in cancer, where you have multiple drugs acting on multiple mechanisms, it's most likely in HD will need combination therapy. Uh, and then furthermore, you know, when I look at the families in South Africa, and some of them I'm still close to, uh, and, uh, and I look at them, I'm, and many of them are very impoverished. Uh, and of course, then I look at Venezuela, and I look at South America. I'm very interested in a drug that's orally taken, easy to take, that's safe and tolerable. And clearly, we have, you know, what the FDA likes, more than a thousand years clinical experience with no serious adverse events. This is very remarkable. It's, it's actually surprising. Um, and, uh, and so that's also something that hopefully can be available globally. Um, and so it's very important that we also provide access, not just in North America and in Europe and in the UK, but in Africa, South America, Southeast Asia and other parts, because sadly, Huntington disease is everywhere. And when we provide hope, we don't want hope just in one geographic jurisdiction, but everywhere. And that's also why I'm not looking, if we were successful, I'm not looking to, you know, I'm looking to find ways that we can make it accessible to everybody. And sometimes big pharma doesn't want to be bothered with that, but that's gonna be an important principle for me in any partnership we need for distribution, that we find ways to make this accessible. That's wonderful. Um, you are absolutely right. It does not discriminate in location. It is everywhere, and um, it needs to be available everywhere, and I love it. Um, and I can tell you from the gene-positive pre-symptomatic side, we are absolutely roaring to, um, to participate in clinical trials. So when you do get to that point, um, I know that I will be one of many standing ready to, to participate. So, And we're um, looking to that. We're starting to, so the question is, you know, how you design that trial. It's not so simple. 
And what we do know in Huntington's disease, through the brilliant work of colleagues like uh, people out of uh, University College, Sarah Tabrizi and others, where you look at the brains earlier, you can see changes quite early, long before people have symptoms. So we'd want to find some way that we can measure people who are, say, within five years of onset, uh, and so that you have a trial where you follow them and they don't have onset in that period. So you have to prove that the drug is useful. There are also biomarkers in blood because early on in the disease, there's a index, uh, there's a biomarker for neuronal injury called neurofilament. Mm -hmm. Neurofilament goes up even before you have signs and symptoms, uh, but it goes up close to onset. So if we can look for patients who have some biomarkers that show that they're going to have the disease in some period, and we know that predopidine we have early suggestions that predopidine can depress that biomarker. So it becomes like a serum cholesterol that it's up and then you can decrease it or maintain it and stabilize it and it doesn't go further. So we're also going to be looking for biomarkers that can predict that somebody will get the disease and where the drug may have some effect. All of these are going to be very important in the design of that trial. And we're busy starting to think about that design so we can do the trial quickly and easily with the right number of people uh, from all over the world. And this is a drug that will be, like you said, it's going to be an oral drug taken how many times a day? At the moment, twice a day. We're twice also day. looking at, so it's once in the morning, once in the evening. And the, you know, the side effect profile looks very similar to placebo. Um, and so they, in, in any trial, um, you, anything that's a serious adverse event, which could be development of a heart attack or something that, and the, the investigator has to decide if it's related to the drug or not related to the drug. So whilst in the 500 or so patients in the trial, there have been some serious adverse events, none of them have been ascribed to the drug itself so far. So it's looking good. Um, but again, we let's wait until uh, this trial is over for us to make conclusions. So we have a chance to uh, uh, look at that. Um, we well funded, uh, just as we've spoken to people to come with me, we've inspired investors to come along with us. We have the money that uh, we don't need to raise any more money for the trials. Um, and, uh, and so we look forward to these results about a year from now. Um, and we're hopeful, but it's not a sure thing. It's very important. Uh, that's why you do a trial. That's why the FDA says no. Do a proper trial and show us it works. And that's what we're hoping to do. But um, we await those results uh, with some anxiety and some hope and some optimism, but not a sure, not a sure clear cut answer until we get the data. So we can expect in a year from now to kind of have the, the results available and next steps would you start planning next steps? So we, the exact dates, we're not totally certain, but the dates are within the first few months of next year. Uh, we do know that now, uh, but then we have, to, we have to lock the database and then get the results. So I would say early, you know, uh, April, May next year, we should have the results. Uh, we're now in March, so it's very soon. 
um, and we'll be able to share this with the community. Either whatever the news is, we will share this broadly. So how can the HD community help you get to where we need to be? What is it that you need from us to be able to make this successful? Well, I think we need to make sure that patients stay retained in the study because the endpoints are what's most important. So you want to make sure that people don't get don't lose faith, that maintains in the retention in the study is very important. And I think for people to realize that they're doing this not only for themselves, but for the whole community. And if, for example, if we, we've had very good retention, but we want to see that that's maintained, so that they're doing that so the community can get an answer. This works or it doesn't. So retention is very important. Encouragement to people to stay in the study for their own benefit, but also for the benefit of the whole community. Once the study is finished, people can go into the, uh, because in a study, half of the people on placebo and half on the treatment, and you have to show the treatment has some effect. But once they finish that, they go on to open label, which means they stay on the drug for a longer period of time. And that's what uh, is available to them. We encourage them to stay, stay on the open label. Let's learn as much as possible for themselves and for the whole community. And let's get an answer one way or another that whether this drug really brings the hope that we pray and hope it does. Love it. Um, and I think that that's absolutely right. Just encouraging the HD community. And part of, part of that is the transparency, right? Um, I've participated in observational studies and um, in clinical trials, I've had I've been part of one clinical trial, and um, and part of it's just the transparency and how comfortable you are with the people, and I think that that's huge for you guys that you have maintained the retention um, because it does it shows that you guys are just adamant about doing something for the HD community and, and you're genuine about it. So I think that. Um, should be much easier for you. I love the idea of it being oral, and I love that you want to make it accessible um, globally and to everybody. Um, and I will be very excited to see in a year from now how you're going forward and how we can help further. Well, Lauren, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm thank you to the Huntington community for being such amazing partners with us. I'm grateful. Uh, I feel I'm blessed. Uh, this has been uh, a journey. It's not a single trip. There's been a journey of discovery. Uh, not everybody supported uh, this drug uh, because it had some failures, but we were able to dissect the biology and understand exactly and design the right trial so that uh, we can learn more. So we were open to all the new data. We had no bias. Uh, and we were able to see a way through, which is now supported by all the regulators completely. We have huge support, and, uh, and that's just been very helpful. And so without the hunting community, without you, there's no us. Without you, there's no us as a community, and so we are inextricably bound together in an effort to find ways to do something for this dreadful illness. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Dr. Hayden. For those that are listening, please make sure that you um, that you tune in for the shows 
um, coming up in the rest of March. And also I wanted to mention that Help for HD Hype will be this coming weekend. If you go to helpforhd.org, H-E-L-P, the number four, hd.org, um, there should be an agenda on there um, for Hype or a link so you can register for it. Um, Katie and Katrina also posted all over social media, so you can definitely tune in on, on other platforms that will be available. Uh, and we have some really good things coming up in the Huntington community. There was just um, HDO just at their Congress, and HDSA will be doing their um, convention in June, um, and it will be in person. So we've got a lot of things to look forward to. And um, so just make sure that you keep tuning in and listening to the show and following on Facebook and Twitter and all of the social media platforms. Till I get to talk to you again, take care and I love you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications.